You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore that app. So today is PFF Day, the day in which we analyze and look a little deeper at the performance, see who was on top and who kind of let us down. Sometimes we can kind of see a little bit of it on TV, but this is a nice way to kind of put a, a fine point on it. And usually we don't actually know what we know. We, we think we do because we saw like somebody did something awesome like once or twice and we're like, that dude had a great day. But you don't know what they did the other 38 times they were on the field. Um, Some very big thank yous today. As of December 2nd, basically one month in this little two-month ordeal trying to raise $1,000 for the Madison Childhood Cancer Foundation, we have hit our goal. So obviously it's still open to donations. I'd love to get that as high as possible. But mostly I just want to say thank you very much for that. It's very, very exciting that we were able to do something so cool. Special thanks to uh, the Blaine Patino Law Firm for coming up with this little charade that they would match Kevin King's PFF grade. Billy and Jay decided to jump on that bandwagon. And so all told, thanks to Kevin King not having a horrible day, and we'll get to that, there was $210 donated on behalf of Kevin King's performance. And just last night, Brian jumped in and threw in another 25 So we are up to $1,072. Very, very awesome. I uh, also want to thank uh, Scott and David. I haven't been pushing Patreon, and I even mentioned that uh, it would be worthwhile to pause that for a while to be able to help the Madison Childhood Cancer Foundation. As a result, there was a little bit of a dip, but uh, Scott jumped in on my birthdays, and uh, David upped his pledge, and I really, really appreciate that. Obviously, we've been up to two episodes a day. I feel as though I provide pretty good amount of content. And uh, make no mistake, I do it because I love it, but it is a good amount of work. So if you have a little bit of extra change laying around, you can jump in as a patron for as little as a dollar a month. There is a link in the description. Otherwise, uh, packernet dot, no, patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. Jump in to help support the cause couple other things. On Instagram, we've been doing this uh, giveaway for quite a while now. When we get to 600 followers, we have 599 followers on Instagram. Need one more, and we'll be doing a giveaway. Also, I know I said I wouldn't be begging, but I'm at 295 iTunes reviews. If you haven't done so yet, I would really, really appreciate uh, if we can get up to that 300 mark. That is a pretty massive milestone. I also have been kind of tracking these things to kind of see. I'm, I'm trying to see where exactly my podcast ranks with everything because my theory is this is the best Packers podcast, but it's not the most well-known Packers podcast. So I'm trying to track certain markers, and one of the things I'm trying to track is, first of all, the iTunes reviews, which it is the highest-ranked iTunes review, at least as far as having, I don't know, over 50 ratings or whatever, but also how many ratings are being left and even for some of the, the bigger um, podcasts, I am getting ratings at the same rate as Bukowski. A lot of the other bigger ones, you know, they're getting, over the last couple of weeks or whatever, they had three, four, five ratings, and, and Bukowski and I had 10 in that same time period. 
So again, it, it really, for me, is a matter of trying to get the information out that this podcast exists. Leaving iTunes re- reviews is one of the biggest things because that's going to help in the iTunes rankings. Also, just word of mouth. If somebody's talking Packers, if you're on Reddit, another Facebook group, whatever it is, that's my theory and I'd like to try it out. Let the people know. I also have another way of finding out, but I'm working out the details of that. So anyways, I know I said I wasn't going to be beggy, but we hit our thousand mark, so I'm going to be beggy for a little bit. Plus, we're right there, man. 599 Instagram followers, 295 iTunes reviews. Come on. And also, I have 39 patrons, so I mean, if I can get one more, be an even 40. Or, if I wanted to be super greedy, 50. And really, let, let me let, just, again, I haven't been beggy in a while. Let, let me think about this. Let's think about this for a second. 365 days a year I'm doing content, right? We're up to two episodes a day. I feel like 50 supporters on Patreon isn't cr- that crazy, is it? Is that crazy? Am I, am I being out of, out, of, uh, out of line here? I don't know. I don't know. I don't think so. Whatever. Anyways, feels good to get my bag on. Some bag on strips. With that, why don't we take a break? <laughs> I feel like a street hustler trying to sell coconuts. We'll take a break and we'll be right back. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. So obviously with the Vikings losing, the Packers are in a great position if they can just stay ahead. I know it feels like the Washington Redskins game is an automatic, but it's not. It should be, but it's not. The good news is it's at home. And when it's at home, we get to have fans in the stands screaming like crazy people and helping the team get fired up and helping discombobulate the other team on third down. Hopefully even second and first down as well. But none of that happens if we don't have rabid fans in the stands, man. That's where you come in. But how do I get there, you ask? Oh, it's so simple. Simply download the Vivid Seats app onto your cellular device, at which time you are automatically enrolled in the Vivid Seats Rewards Loyalty Program. Just look up the Packers, find the Washington Redskins game, find the oh-so-perfect seats for just the right amount of people. Make the selection oh-so-securely with 100% buyer guarantee. And if it's your first time, enter promo code OVERTIME at checkout to receive a discount of up to $100. So simple, man. All right, so for starters, let's kind of zoom out into the macro. Um, I had mentioned earlier on in the the year that this was a much better year to try to get into the playoffs than last year because there just aren't that many elite teams. Unfortunately, some of these teams are starting to become a little bit battle-hardened. Some of these teams are very, very legit at this point, and the grades are reflecting that. For example, the Patriots are now 7th. They had been number one by a lot, and it was their, their grade was like an 87. 
So last year you had about six teams that were graded as elite. This year we had the Patriots number one for a long time at about 87-ish. Now the Patriots are still at 87.4 in their seventh. There are currently four elite teams, one that's very close, basically five. And that's probably just going to continue to go up as these teams continue to not just be really dominant, but kind of separate themselves from everybody else. In other words, they're so much better than everyone else. It doesn't matter who they play. They're going to look very dominant. Those five teams include the Saints, number one, the 49ers, number two, the Baltimore Ravens, number three, the Dallas Cowboys. Yes, I know, the Dallas Cowboys, number four. Again, based on their roster, not the actual talent they put on the field or the the level of play. I, I don't know why they're so bad. And number five is the Minnesota Vikings. The other two teams that are kind of close would be the Rams and the Patriots. Then in the mid-80s is the Tennessee Titans by themselves, again, kind of shockingly. Then you got a huge pile of low 80s teams, and this is what's kind of discouraging, is that the Packers are in a group of teams from 9 to 16th, so half the league is in this range or higher. But that would include the Eagles, the Broncos, the Packers, the Steelers, the Seahawks, Yes, the Seahawks, the Bills, the Cowboys, and the Buccaneers. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean they're on the same level as all these teams. Obviously, there's a massive difference between the Seahawks and the, I don't know, the Broncos. But again, this is kind of, and part of the reason this is overall great has to do with how good you are across the board. For example, the New Orleans Saints don't really have a weakness. The lowest grade in any category that they have is coverage at 72.3, which is a good grade. The lowest grade the Packers have is a 51.6 in tackling, 58.3 in special teams, 58.7 in run blocking, a 64.1 in run defense, right? So, th- so there's a lot of weaknesses that kind of drag this down. Now, if you look at passing, 81.6, pass blocking, 78, pass rush, 77, coverage is a 77. Defense overall is even not that bad. doesn't really compare to, I mean, it doesn't rank very high, but, you know, Overall, as people have alluded to, it's not really a team that stands out as one of the real top-tier teams. That doesn't mean they can't win anything, and it doesn't mean they can't get better, but what we've seen on the field has been not good enough, and that's reflected here. They are graded as the 11th best team, which isn't bad. Offensively, they're graded as the 14th best team. Defensively, they're the 14th best team, and really the way that shakes out is the offense is relatively good across the board, with the exception of run blocking. The defense is very good in pass rush and pretty decent in coverage, but is just abysmal as a tackling team, as a unit, and is just not very good as a run-defending unit. But, again, this is also not accounting for the end of the season as opposed to that would be more of a DVOA kind of thing. So as we kind of zoom in a little bit and look at this week, we kind of get an idea or can start to see maybe some things that are possibly maybe kind of getting a little bit better. So why don't we do that? And Actually, we'll look at special teams first because that's the least interesting. Um, in terms of kick return, kick coverage, punt return, punt coverage, right? The, the blockers and the chasers actually had some really, really good players this week. There were four guys that stood out. The fourth was Jamal Williams. Jamal ended up getting one assisted tackle. He was only out there for seven plays, uh, four times on kick return, uh, three times on punt coverage. So four times as a blocker on kick return, three times going and getting a guy. And he was down there to get somebody once of those three times. Chandon Sullivan had a grade of 79, which is very good. Plays mostly on kickoffs, four times kick return, six times kick coverage. Had one tackle. Alan Lazard was the second highest. Same kind of situation, only out there 10 times. Well, that's, that's actually pretty high. 10 times is a lot because you you're not out there very... There's not that many kickoffs. But four times kick return, six times kick coverage. 
had one tackle. And then the highest, a little bit higher, an 83.4 overall was Danny Vitale. Excuse me, Danny Vitale. Uh, he had one tackle and only eight total snaps. Four on kick return, one on punt return, three on punt coverage. So mostly a blocker and similar to Jamal Williams, only three times was a go-getter, but ended up getting a tackle on one of those three. The only guy that stood out as being really bad on special teams was Jay Sternberger. He was out there 10 times, um, four times on kick return, six on punt coverage, or kick coverage, so he was on kickoff teams. Obviously the returns were not good. He graded as a uh, Tremont Smith 46 overall, so really not good at all. Seemed like he was getting going a little bit, but uh, punt return, one return for three yards. And I, I don't know why this guy was graded so high. He just, he looks so timid and scared when he's out there. As far as my two cents on um, Trevor Davis, I, I'd like him back. I mean, we've already picked up a guy. My guess is we're not going to bring him back because we already traded him, which is coming to the conclusion that we don't want him. I know things have changed a little bit. I don't know. It, 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 there might be some bad blood as well. I, I don't know. I'm not sure all the dynamics of that. But I, I've been, I, I was on the Trevor Davis bandwagon for a very long time. Most people didn't like him because he was a bad receiver. He also had, on occasion, you know, a couple muffs that were problematic. But he was also one of the highest returning guys in, I don't know, for several years. He was just very good as a returner. And I had said it's one of those positions that you don't really care about until you have a really bad one, and then suddenly you care. Well, we had that. We saw what happens when you don't have someone that can return things. We have a negative 11 punt return yards, which I believe would, I guess, now be down to negative 8 because we got three yards um, from Tremont Smith. But that's still really pathetic. It's really, really bad, and we need a lot better. And we know Trevor Davis can do better, so what? And he's just sitting there. And by the way, it is some Patriots-level stuff to trade a guy for a six-round pick, and then he gets cut and you just grab him back for nothing. That's some high-level GMing right there. But we got a guy. I don't expect much from him. Trevor Davis, you know, we know what he can do. That's just all there is to it. Now, I don't know why exactly he was cut. I suppose we could look. So for punt return, his lowest grade was like a 61. He had at least one return in every game, no more than two. A total of 111 punt return yards on 13 attempts. So he had 8.5 yards per attempt, which doesn't seem all that great. I mean, it's fine until you realize we can't get positive yardage. This guy racked up 111 like it's nothing. And that's just punt return. Now he only had 21.6 yards per attempt on kick return, which is really not good because again, if you can't get 25 yards, all they're going to do is essentially the exact same thing they did to Tremont Smith, which is kick it to the one yard line and then stop you at the 20. However, that doesn't tell the whole story. Now, he was really bad this past week against Kansas City. Two returns, 32 yards, uh, 16 yards per attempt. Um, the week before that, 17.5. The week before that, there weren't any, I guess. And then the week before that, 18.8. So he couldn't even get to 20. But before that, week nine against Detroit, three returns, 81 yards. His longest was 31. That's a 27-yard average. That's awesome. Against the Packers, two returns, 49 yards. 34 was his longest. The week before that, he had one return for 52 yards. I mean, the, the guy has got that breakaway potential. He's not going to be perfect every time, and most returners don't get 25 yards per return, by the way. It's not an easy thing to do. But yeah, he was definitely struggling with kick. So, so I guess one way to look at this is technically Trevor Davis had a lower yards per attempt than Tremont Smith had, but he also had a much higher breakaway potential, and he's a heads and tails better punt returner. Tremont Smith was a horrible, horrible punt returner. 
Now, some uh, really great news. Tyler Irvin, the guy that we picked up, is not only a uh, lower yards per attempt on kickoffs than Tremont Smith, he's actually lower than Trevor Davis at 21.6 per return. Now, he doesn't have, I mean, I just, I don't, I don't, what in the, what are we doing here? We need to go get Trevor Davis. This is disgusting. 21.4 per attempt, which is really, really low. Five returns for 107 yards. His longest was 25. That was his best return, which should be the bare minimum. And I just looked it up. There's about 25, 26 guys in the NFL that have 25 or more yards, which is about one per team. It's pretty close to. So I guess it's not that unreasonable to expect 25 yards. As far as punt returns go, his average on punt return, and he's only got five, but he's got five for nine yards, which is an average of 1.8 yards per return. The guy's never been any good at this. So assuming this is what we picked him up for, I don't know for sure. Maybe we just wanted another running back, but, you know, you cut a guy from who's special teams, and then you draft a guy who has, a, or not draft, but pick up a guy that has dra- uh, special teams experience. My brain is all kinds of scattered. I apologize for the Stutter and Steve show. And yeah, I mean, he's, it, it's, he's 5'10", 4'4", speed, so man, he could just any time. You never know. <laughs> he never has. How about that? I'm sorry, Tyler. We got to get rid of this guy. We got to get Trevor Davis. We got to do it today. This is this is dumb. Our, our our special teams is graded as one of the worst, despite the fact that we're starting to get better on returns and coverage. Despite the fact that J.K.'s getting his groove back and Mason's still the man, we are terrible in this regard because we can't gain a single yard. Didn't mean to rhyme it, but it sounded good. And we go out and get somebody that's actually worse than the guy we had. That's incredible to me. I don't know if this is just arrogance once again because it's like, well, we know, we trust our eyes because we're great scouts and we believe that we can coach them up and we have the power to transform. No, you don't. Go get good football players. I'm, I'm, I, I hate that. I have utmost respect for Brian Gutekunst and his ability to scout. I'm a little iffy on the pro personnel. Little iffy on the guys whose job it is to scout talent in the NFL and say, this guy's really good. I think maybe some of those guys should grab a PFF subscription and stop being so arrogant and just look some of this stuff up. Because this dude ain't so good. But who knows? Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he's real good. He just needs the right opportunity. And the right opportunity has to be this team that can't get anything going on special teams. Yeah, we're going to be the place where he breaks out. That's probably what's going to happen. Arrogance thing kills me, man. And it's also part of the reason they draft who they draft. I don't want to get too far into a rabbit hole, but the whole let's get somebody with tools because we have the power to transform them into an elite freak. Dude, just get good football players, man. Please, 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 please just get good football players. Just look look at the people on our team. How many of the really good football players are freaks? Devontae is not a freak. As far as speed and height, he is about as average as they come. He's He's slow and just average to, to borderline short. What is he, like six one? runs a 4-5 something? I, I don't know what it is, but he's just a good football player. Aaron Jones, not a freak, just a good football player. David Bakhtiari, not a freak, just a good football player. Zadarius Smith, not a freak, good football player. Preston, not a freak. Amos, not a freak. Jair, a little bit freaky. Kenny Clark, eh, eh, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think he is actually that freaky. I think he's just a good football player. But yet we just have to have, and I'm not saying Rashawn can't turn the corner. I'm just saying that's an example of a guy where he's got all these freakish tools, and man, if he could really reach that full, and I agree, and I hope he does, if he gets that full potential, we have got an elite pass rusher. 
but I just would prefer that we use our scouting powers to find good football players that can play really good in the pros, as opposed to saying he's not good now, but give us a couple years with this guy and we can refine it. Just come on, man. Drives me nuts. That's, that, and, and to be completely honest, you want to know why guys like Ted Thompson and, and probably still to this day we do better in the fourth round than we do in the first round? It's because in the first round we look for freaks that aren't necessarily good football players. In the fourth round and third rounds and whatnot, we're looking for really good football players. Not always. I mean, sometimes we go out and get an MVS because, you know, he's really tall and really fast, but obviously that's not super working out. But when we just hone in on a guy that, you know, I can't explain why he's good, right? You get, you get a, a Mike Daniels. You get a David Bakhtiari who doesn't seem to have any of the attributes. It's probably not going to translate. Probably going to have to kick him into guard. But, man, he's just a good football player. What happens? Seems to be a simple formula to me. I don't understand. Anyways, let's get back to this. Finally, kicking grades. Mason Crosby had a fantastic day. Uh, Kickers don't really grade out super high. I thought about putting special teamers in the stock market game, but it would kind of be an unfair advantage because I understand that these guys never, there's no fluctuation. It would be like investing in bonds, right? You're just It's just a safe place to park your money. You're not going to lose your money. But some people aren't going to know that. They're going to be like, dude, Mason's going to have a great day. And he does have a great day, but, you know, it's just still like in the 60s. JK, same thing. Relatively good day, not great day. Doesn't matter. A great day, maybe he just gets to 70. Bad day, he's down in the 50s or 40s or whatever. But you're never going to see like a 20 or a 90. But, um, yeah, JK was, I guess, not quite as good as I thought. 46.7 yards per attempt. His longest was 47, and that hang time is 4.38, man. I don't know what's going on with that. I mean, it's, it's bad weather. Can't expect it to be quite as good in bad weather, I guess, so I'm not super upset, but still, I don't know. It'd be nice to get a little... I, I don't know. I don't. Maybe it's just impossible. Maybe I'm expecting too much in cold, snowy weather. Maybe 46.7 and 4.38 is great. What do I know? It felt good. Anyways, let's... I don't know. What should we do? Let's do... Let's do offense because it was less good than defense, as much as that might be surprising. I think they were just more good and less really bad. So we'll start with the bad generally. Um, Two guys were really bad. One was Robert Tanyan. I think several people picked up on that. Um, Two penalties in the game. Couldn't really do anything as a blocker. Uh, As as a pass blocker, though, he actually graded out fairly well. Uh, Below average as a receiver, below average, a run blocker, adding the two penalties and the fact that he's only out there 19 times. He had a really, really bad grade. Another one that was really, really bad, second lowest, and the only one that was below a 50 outside of Tanyan, was Elton Jenkins. I don't know if it was the footing or what, but I had mentioned how these guys just cannot run block. Even the pass blocking I wasn't impressed in. A lot of people say, oh, this was a great pass. It was not, and it's it, it's reflecting in the grades here. The pass blocking wasn't great. Rodgers was scrambling all the time. He maybe had a clean pocket for the solid two seconds, but it broke down pretty quick. And uh, Elton Jenkins was one of the guys, this is, I believe, probably his worst game. I think he's been slightly overhyped in terms of him being just this elite guy because he's just not. In terms of his grades, he's only had one good game, one elite game. Everything else has been average, below average, or bad. Now, as a pass blocker, everything's been great. As a run blocker, he's been kind of horrible. Again, I know that's not the narrative, right? He's this great run blocker. He's just doing all these great things. Because we see a couple Twitter clips and people get all excited and that's how that works. I'm just telling you, from the people that are watching every single snap, this is what we're getting. His last four weeks, the grades have been 44, 66, 65, 48. And then, you know, 89, elite. Before that, 57, 59, 56, 67, 61, and 75. So again, two games that were good. 
a bunch of average, uh, a few below average, and two bad games, and this was one of his bad games. Now, I'm still excited. I think he's doing a great job. For a rookie, this is awesome. He's a good pass blocker. I'm jacked. I'm, I'm not complaining. I just want to have a proper perspective on how good he is, and it's not as good as everyone on Twitter is saying. And that just starts the snowball effect where people get excited because he's a draft pick and we want our draft picks to be real good, and then you get the blue check marks on Twitter who claim to know stuff, who are talking about he's doing a really great job, and they show you like two clips of him doing a great job like on the goal line helping to get a touchdown. Oh, we don't get that touchdown if it's not Elton Jenkins, and that's true, and it's great, and look how great he is. But that's not exactly the full picture. He's doing good, but he's not one of the top guards in football. He is 30th, so he's, you know, starter caliber, I guess. And he's obviously our best guard, but that's somewhat by default because Billy Turner is not doing super great. Although he's not that far behind, Billy Turner's 42nd. So that's sort of the, the really weird dynamic. And, and part of it is because Billy Turner is such a bad pass blocker that it just highlights much more. But overall grade, Billy Turner's is 61.9 and Elton Jenkins is 64.5. Basically tied. Just one is better at run blocking and is terrible at pass blocking. The other one's a good pass blocker and is not a good run blocker. Um, some other guys that were below average, Jay Sternberger. Only played 14 snaps, 6 as a receiver, 8 as a run blocker, graded out as below average in both. Was worse as a receiver than a run blocker. Uh, Jay Kumaro was below average. I don't know that he's had a good day in a long time. He's another wildly overhyped guy who's had two good games this year. Uh, Basically, from best to worst, his grades have been 82, 79, 65, 63, 60, 59, 54, 54, 54, 50. So he's obviously had a couple good games, and like I said, he's one of those guys that gets put into the rotation. I, You know, I, I think that what the Packers have are guys that show up in certain situations and you just kind of ride the hot hand. Last week it was Alan Lazard. It seems like the last couple weeks it's been Alan Lazard. Um, week 10, however, against Carolina, it was Kumaro. He was the guy. So I'm glad we have him because we don't have a number two, so we got to just kind of rotate the guys, find out who's having a good day, and then just run with it. And on two occasions it was Kumaro. But is he a legit number two? No. Right now, the only potential legit number two is Alan Lazard, and I don't even know if that's true either. I think he's been the hot hand the last couple weeks. I think there are some limitations there as well. Again, excited about Alan Lazard, excited about all these guys. I don't know that we have a guy that's just going to be consistently a solid number two. Not that everybody's consistent all the time, but we got a bunch of guys that are over the course of a season going to grade out in the 60s. At best, MVS is not even going to get there. So unless we believe strongly that Equinemius is going to be a solid number two, and I don't, and I'm a big Equinemius fan, Still on the the belief that we need to get a wide receiver. Um, Aaron Jones was below average. That was for relatively obvious reasons, but actually he graded out average as a runner, um, bad as a receiver, 48.9, and as a pass blocker, 32. So really rough day. Marquez, once again, was below average. He's been below average for a while now. Um, Just looking at him really quickly. Uh, His last good game was in week seven. He also has only had two good weeks, so very similar, but we just haven't seen him in quite a while. So he's the exact same as Kumaro, but he's had his bad games are worse, and he hasn't had a good game in a long time. Since week seven, his grades have been 45, 49, 55, 52, 56. He hasn't even had an average game since week seven. Um, Danny Vitale was below average. He was fine as a pass blocker, not a good run blocker, and not a good receiver. Uh, Lucas Patrick, who was out for two snaps, was below average, and David Bakhtiari was also below average, again, because he's a terrible run blocker. He just can't do it. And I even mentioned how, you know, I know they got guys who are really good up the middle. They have terrible edge rushers who can't do anything, but yet even when we try to get to the outside, every time we try to run to the left behind David Bakhtiari, David Bakhtiari gets blown up and they tackle him. 
it's really embarrassing how bad he is as a run blocker. Now, he was our top pass blocker again, so not upset, but maybe just a little bit. Oh, and Jimmy Graham, just barely below average for obvious reasons, because he just is in every category. Um, guys that were good. We'll start from the bottom. David, uh, Devontae Adams, not his best game. But that, that's kind of what I mean by a really good wide receiver. Devontae Adams, he has a bad day when his grade is about a 70. That's like, oh, come on, Devontae. Right? These other guys, when they have a bad day, it's 50s and 40s. Devontae having a bad day is like 60s. Um, Jamal Williams, really good day. His highest grade was as a receiver um, and a run blocker. Running was just kind of average. Corey Lindsley had a really good day, which we needed that because our, our offensive line was just not good this week. He was the only guy who was graded out with a positive grade. I mean, positive as in above, above average, at least. So really poor effort again from the offensive line, which is why we couldn't run. And it was also why Rodgers was under duress, despite, again, some of the blue check marks saying this is one of the best games I've ever seen in terms of pass blocking. I don't know what game they were watching, but that was not a great game. Second highest was Aaron Rodgers, which is really exciting because I wasn't really sure what... You never really know, right? When the passing game is not going well, is it Rodgers' fault? Is it the receiver's fault? Is it the offensive line's fault? Last week, obviously, they put a lot of emphasis on Aaron Rodgers. According to PFF, this was a bounce-back game. This was whatever issues there were. Maybe some of them were on Rodgers, but primarily it would be offensive line, wide receivers, tight ends, whatever, just not doing their job. They thought Aaron Rodgers was the second highest graded guy. And not surprisingly, the highest was Alan Lazard. He had a nearly elite grade. However, that was primarily because of his efforts as a run blocker. 91.2. He's been consistently a very, very good run blocker because he's basically a tight end. As a receiver, 80.2 was his grade, which was solid. It's a very good grade. It was the highest grade. Uh, Looking specifically at the blocking, Rodgers was pressured 10 times in this game, hit twice. Two of his hits came from Brian Balaga and Elton Jenkins. Four of the ten hurries came from Billy Turner, something we're seeing all too often. The majority of the hurries, hits, sacks are coming off of Billy Turner. Usually it comes off the tackles because that's where the good pass rushers are. For us, it's Billy Turner. Uh, Two of the hurries were credited to Aaron Rodgers for holding the ball too long. One from Elton Jenkins, one from David Bakhtiari. Penalties, two on Robert Tanyan, one on Elton Jenkins, one on David Bakhtiari. In terms of grades, pass blocking, David Bakhtiari, Corey Lindsley, very good. Danny Vitale, Mercedes Lewis, Jamal Williams, Brian Balaga, Robert Tanyan were all good. Lucas Patrick, Elton Jenkins were average. Billy Turner was bad. Aaron Jones was abysmal. Now, Aaron Jones didn't give anything up, but obviously he didn't block anybody either. It just never, that person never got to the the quarterback, I guess. I don't know. Run blocking, Alan Lazard was elite. After that, we got to drop all the way down to Corey Lindsley, who was average to kind of close to good. Geronimo Allison was pretty close to good. A huge pile of average to below average or barely below average. And then you get down into Brian Balaga was uh, bad, but David Bakhtiari was bad, and Elton Jenkins were bad. So three of our top offensive linemen, our left guard, left tackle, and right tackle were just terrible run blockers. You want to know why Aaron Jones couldn't go? I never really understand that. When a running back is getting smacked right at the line of scrimmage or behind the line of scrimmage, how can people sit there and say, oh, I don't know what's going on with Aaron Jones. He's typically a much better running back than this. What are you are you watching the game? Why does nobody realize offensive lines exist? Even I mean it's even when a guy gets going, like, oh, there's the guy we, with Saquon. Like, there's the Saquon we always knew and loved. They're talking about how great he was on a play when you can see the camera angle looking straight ahead. It was a wide open gaping hole, and they're bragging about how great of a run that was. Dude. Dude, 
offensive line versus defensive line is the entire story on that play. Saquon's just a dude. He's just a guy running through a hole. These guys with their commentary is just, it's sickening. Drives me insane. And it's its the, the guys in the booth as well as people on Twitter. And the people on Twitter are even worse because they can see it. They saw it. They saw the replays. It's not like live where you're sitting a mile away in a booth, booth watching on binoculars and a tiny little TV trying to figure out what's going on. I mean, that's annoying enough. But come on, man. It's, it's to this day why I don't like Ezekiel Elliott. Ezekiel Elliott was on a team that had a great offensive line. Every one of his big plays was him grabbing the ball, running in a straight line, and getting a 70-yard touchdown. Because there was a gaping hole that he could have, like, put both of his arms straight out and not touched anybody. And he ran straight ahead, and nobody tackled him. I don't know if it was an all-out blitz or where. I don't know where the corners were, where the safeties were. There was one game in particular where he had, like, three touchdowns or four touchdowns. Two of them were from 50-plus. And he just ran in a straight line through a big hole, and there were no defenders that touched him. And people look at the stat line and like, he's so good. It's like, he didn't do anything. Nobody understands context. It it just, ah, I'm fine. I'm good. Let's move on. Uh, There was a question about wondering how Aaron Rodgers is going to grade out, especially in regard to pressure. He handled it very, very well. He graded out almost exactly the same. It was obviously a little bit higher when there was no pressure, but uh, he handled his business under pressure, which is good because there was pressure on a very high percentage of his dropback. Out of 36 dropbacks, 15 were under pressure. Usually you're looking at a quarter to a third. This is creeping a little bit close to, uh, I guess it's, it's it's getting up there close to 50%. But anyways, under pressure, 9 of 13 for 106 yards, 8.2 yards per attempt and a touchdown. NFL passer rating of 119.4 is adjusted completion percentage was 69.2 under pressure. When not under pressure, 12 of 20, adjusted completion percentage of 73.7. Which is pretty wild because his actual completion percentage was 60, but there were two drops and a throwaway. So his completion percentage looks worse, but it was actually better because guys just couldn't get their act together. Um, But 12 of 20, 137 yards, three touchdowns. 120.2 passer rating, basically the exact same. So 119.4 when he's under pressure, 120.2. Really, really awesome um, performance. And again, that's, that's why you give him such a high... I guess a high grade, and you you give him such high esteem in this game because there was a lot of pressure, it was bad conditions, and he needed to be able to handle it. And we saw what he did under pressure, right? That touchdown to Mercedes, the, what was it, a third down or a fourth down completion to Geronimo when he's just getting smoked but gets the ball off and gets it right to him. And if you look at across the field, he actually graded out pretty poorly everywhere around the field. Uh, The deep left part of the field, he was 0 for 2. Deep right, he was 0 for 1. Deep middle, 3-for-3, 97 yards, 2 touchdowns, 158.3 passer rating. Intermediate left, 1-for-1, 25 yards. You got an average grade there. Um, Intermediate right, didn't even attempt it, which is 10 to 20 yards on the right side, right hash, whatever. Intermediate middle, Aaron Rodgers just killed the middle. 3-for-3, 54 yards. Then you look short left, 4-of-8, 23 yards, and a touchdown. That was Mercedes Lewis. You look uh, short right, 1-of-4 for 6 yards. Short middle, 2 of 3, 14 yards, and a touchdown. So all the way down the middle of the field, including behind the line of scrimmage, he was 11 of 12 for real quick math here, about 150, 160, 170 yards and three touchdowns. They just assaulted the middle of the field. And receiving grades I already kind of talked about, but specifically uh, Alan Lazard and Jamal Williams were the two that were pretty top. Mercedes, Devontae, Geronimo were average, below average, Jimmy, Robert Tanyan, Danny Vitale, Marquez, and then Aaron Jones was bad. 
some of the more advanced stats because I already talked about the stats. But uh, Alan Lazard, 34.3 yards per reception. Jimmy Graham, 16. Devontae, 10. Geronimo, 10. And then everyone else was pretty low. Yards after the catch, Jamal, 32 yards after the catch. Aaron Jones, 30. Devontae is 20. Longest, obviously, Alan Lazard, 43 yards. Devontae was 25. First downs, Devontae Adams moving the sticks four times. That's that's kind of an underrated thing. I feel like Aaron Jones really wants to hit the deep shot with Devontae. Devontae is a great possession receiver. Getting those easy five, six yards. If we could just continue to... We could use him on a drive all the way down the field just trying to get those four or five extra yards. Going from first to ten to second and four with Devontae is almost automatic. But we just got to launch it 25 yards down the field when he's double covered because we just trust my arm and his hand. I'm not going down that rabbit hole, but it is annoying, and he is very talented at other things outside of that. Uh, Geronimo converted two, otherwise Jimmy Graham, Jamal, and Mercedes converted first down. Technically, that would be a touchdown, but I guess we'll call that a first down. This first and goal, and we crossed the goal, so it's kind of like a first down, right? But anyways, why don't we take a break, and then we'll look at the defense. Yeah, I said defense. Deal with it. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Alrighty, overall, the worst and by far, and we'll cut him some slack because he hasn't played much and he didn't play much in this game, but Oren Burks. The biggest reason that it's frustrating is because Oren Burks has been just putrid since he came to Green Bay. So yeah, cut him some slack, hasn't played much or any of that. We haven't seen him do anything that's less or better than horrible since he joined the team. And I'm not going to cut him that much slack because we drafted him in the third round he can't get in on a year when Blake Martinez can't do anything, and we got B.J. Goodson and a safety trying to make something happen. In 2018, his overall grade was a 44.2. This year, it's a 41.2. The guy is about as bad as it gets. He was kind of a reach of a pick, but you know what? He's super athletic. He's the kind of guy that can go sideline to sideline. Is he a good football player? Well, you know, super speedy. Okay. Guess what his worst attribute was? Coverage. Shocker. He was only in coverage eight times. He was targeted four times. 50% of the time he was on the field, they threw at him. That translated to two receptions, 59 yards. Come on, man. I don't know what we're doing at linebacker, but we got to do something. Oren ain't it. Martinez ain't it. BJ ain't it. Ibrahim is fine as a safety, I guess, but we need a linebacker. This is ridiculous. Otherwise, there was nobody that was bad, at least in terms of overall category. Um, Some of the lower, below average guys, Tyler Lancaster had a bad day. Preston Smith was actually a third lowest graded player. He was fine as a tackler, below average run defense, below average pass rush, mediocre in coverage. Um, Ibrahim was below average, Montrevious, Kiki, oh no, Rashawn was average. 
Um, the good news is there was a lot of, of really solid. So basically, there was all those guys that I listed. Then you, oh, we'll just go through it, I guess. Rashawn, Chandon, Jair uh, were all kind of low average. Kevin King was right in the middle average, 65, kind of on an island by himself. Then you had guys that were pretty solid. So Dean Lowry was high enough on the average spectrum. You'd basically just call him good. Everybody else was good. Half the team graded out as good on off or defense. So I know it didn't seem all that great, and there were definitely some low areas, but Tremont Williams graded out as good because of his coverage. Uh, Blake Martinez actually had a good day, and it was against the run as a run defender. So, you know, maybe go back and watch that one because I don't recall. But good on him for having, is this his first this year? His second. This is the second time this year he's had a positive grade as a run defender, as our linebacker. I mean, I'm glad, but ugh. The, the, the third highest grade he had was Week 7 against Oakland, 64.2 as a run defender. The only day he had a very good grade was Week 3 against Denver. So again, awesome. Please keep it up. But that's, that's just not good enough, man. Come on. He's our linebacker, and he can't stop the run. But he did this week, so props. Uh, Kyler Fackrell, primarily solid in tackling and coverage. B.J. Goodson had a good day. Also tackling and coverage, which is a solid thing when you got Blake, who's doing solid as a run defender, and you got B.J. Goodson out there doing a really great job in coverage. Actually had the highest coverage grade on the team. That's crazy. Um, Darnell Savage, same thing, tackling and coverage. Josh Jackson, only eight snaps, but fourth highest grade overall. Again, tackling and coverage. I mean, it's too small of a sample size, but considering how bad he's been, it's kind of nice to see that he came out in limited opportunities and did well. I don't expect him to really be back full-time with the team ever, but just for his sake, it's nice to have a good day, I guess. Uh, Third highest, Adrian Amos. Solid in pretty much everything but pass rush, but that was only one snap, so who cares? Really good as a tackler. Solid in run defense, solid in coverage. Second highest, Zadarius Smith. Absolute monster, by far the best pass rusher. Solid tackling, the only issue, run defense. Didn't do a great job against the run. It's the biggest reason he didn't just have, you know, just a die. And this is the thing. You look at overall grades, and it's a 79.9, which is basically very good. It's like, oh, come on. How do you get much better than that? Well, there's there's other things that go into it, and being able to stop the run is one of those things. So, yeah, I mean, just being a quarterback hunter, there's literally not many in the NFL that can do what he's doing right now. But, you know, there are other things. And the number one player on defense, so, 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 so happy to see it. And he's actually been solid. I mean, last week was abysmal, but out of the last four weeks, he's been solid. Three out of the four weeks. Highest graded player on defense, Mr. Kenny Clark. Had a good grade in run defense, a good grade tackling, and a very good pass rush grade. Looking at the individual components, nobody was very good against the run, but Blake Martinez had the highest grade. The other guys that were good, Jair, which is really great to see. Still a terrible tackler, but solid against the run, I guess. Adrian Amos, Dean Lowry, and Kenny Clark. Guys that were pretty bad, B.J. Goodson, Tyler Lancaster, and Tremont Williams was the worst. He was the only one that was graded out as bad against the run. Tackling, which is definitely getting better, but we still have a pile of guys that are just terrible. Tremont Williams, Oren Burks, Jair, Ibrahim, and Tyler Lancaster were just abysmal. Jair, Ibrahim, and Tyler were down into the 20s. Oren Burks at the 30s. And Jair is just every single week he's down like in the 20s and 30s in tackling. It's the reason, part of the reason his grade is just really, really low because he's one of the worst tacklers in football. It's kind of horrible. But um, the guys who had 70 or higher, which is encouraging, Kenny Clark, Dean Lowry, Blake Martinez, Zadarius, Kyler, Josh Jackson, Chandon Sullivan, B.J. Goodson, Kevin King, Darnell Savage, and the one guy that was very good, Adrian Amos. Pass rush, we didn't have much. Kevin King... 
which is hilarious because he is literally not once has he has he rushed the passer zero times. He has two sacks on the season. Now these aren't. I don't even think his last sack was considered official. PFF called it a sack. I'm fine with that. I think because it was like an RPO, it counts as a tackle for a loss. But it, what's the difference? Tackle the quarterback behind the line of scrimmage. But he has now had two sacks on the season. Has rushed the passer zero times. It's just hilarious to me. Uh, Kenny Clark had a very good grade, and Zadarius was very good, bordering on elite. Coverage, only one guy was horrible. That's Oren Burks, below average. Ibrahim Ibrahim Campbell, Chandon Sullivan, Dean Lowry. Dean was only out there once, so it's not a big deal. Guys with good grades, there were several. Adrian Amos, Darnell Savage, Josh Jackson, Tremont Williams, Kyler Fackrell, and the top guy again is B.J. Goodson. Um, Kevin King was average. Jair was average, so the two top guys that we need to step up didn't have that great of days. It's actually kind of funny because I was thinking about it with Kevin King, and it's if you look at his grades, he he almost never has an average grade. He's either real good or he's real bad. In fact, he's really just had one, two, three, four good games, one very good game, and one elite game, and then he's got two games in the 40s, two games in the 30s, and one game in the 20s. So good, real good bad, real bad. This is the only game where he's rated about 60, but if you think about how he got his 60 grade, it's because he had some really, really good plays and some really, really terrible plays. So that's, he he got an average grade in the most Kevin King possible way ever. Blow a couple really terrible plays, come back and just dominate a couple other plays. That's how Kevin King gets an average grade. He simultaneously is awesome and terrible in the exact same game. Uh, looking at some of the pressures, Kevin King got his one. Rashawn Gary had one on his 10 attempts. So I know people are upset with Rashawn. You got to understand, one pressure in 10 attempts is 10%. That's pretty much what most guys are getting. Again, I'm not defending his play. It's not what we want it to be. But you can't expect a guy who's not on the field to produce. Oh, where's all these sacks? Where's all the pressures? Dude, he can't get it from the sideline. And a big part of the reason he's on the sideline is because of Preston and Zadarius. If they weren't on the team, he would be a full-time starter like Brian Burns and like Josh Allen and the rest of the guys who aren't doing very well. Uh, Preston Smith had two. Both of them came by way of hurries. Kenny Clark had four pressures. All four were hurries. Kyler Fackerel had five pressures, one hit and four hurries. And then Zedarius added eight more pressures, one sack, five hits, and two hurries. Guy is just a beast. Uh, Daniil Hunter is still in the lead, he, and his, his stats aren't even up from yesterday, so he's probably way in the lead right now. But prior to Daniil Hunter's new stats, it was 71 for Daniil, 71 for Cam Jordan, and Zadarius' third was 70. So he's, I mean, he's gaining ground. He is now number three. He's only one pressure behind Cam Jordan for the Saints, and he's, I don't know, a handful behind Daniil Hunter. we got to see how many he got in this game on Monday. In terms of sacks, Zadarius Smith is fifth. He's credited with 12 sacks via PFF. Again, they, they track things a little bit differently. TJ Watt has 15 sacks. Shaquille Barrett has 15 sacks. Cam Jordan with 14. Chandler Jones with 13. Zadarius with 12. Quarterback hits. I thought everybody was saying that Zadarius was the highest. He is not. Uh, Matthew Judon for Baltimore has 20 hits. Zadarius has 18. Uh, he's in second place. And then TJ Watt has 16. And then if you look at quarterback hurries, uh, Zadarius is 7th place. Daniil Hunter has 51 hurries. Cam Jordan is 50. Khalil Mack has 44. Dante Fowler, 43. Von Miller, 42. Chandler Jones, 41. Zadarius, 40. It's actually kind of cool because if you look at hurries, everybody just wants to look at sacks, but sacks are just kind of a, a, a 
random byproduct. It's such a small percentage. But actual disruption, that's when you see the dominant names. That's when Von Miller and Khalil Mack and, and these guys really start to emerge. By the way, Khalil Mack is still, I know it's everyone's saying he's having a terrible year uh, because he's only got seven sacks or whatever. He's the sixth highest graded pass rusher in football. Um, he's not having a bad year at all. Sedarius so is up to eighth, by the way, which is awesome. He was actually quite a bit lower to where the, the grades weren't quite as good, but the stats were really solid, but his grades are starting to, to really tick up. 87.9 pass rush grade. Just beyond excited that we got the guy. He's actually graded higher than Nick Bosa right now as a pass rusher. Uh, TJ Watt is is number one. <laughs> I can't, I can't help it, man. I gotta poke the bear. TJ Watt is great as the highest pass rusher in football right now. I'm just just saying. Um, missed tackles. Jair once again leads the team with two. Tyler Lancaster, Blake Martinez, Ibrahim Campbell, and Tremont all missed one. Bunch of guys had stops on the team. I'm not gonna go through all of them. Stops are basically tackles that mean something as opposed to tackling somebody 10 yards down the field. It's you know come up with a, a stop. Dean Lowry led the team with five, so as far as being a very disruptive player that had a sort of a high impact, he didn't grade out super well across the board. He was fine, kind of average, I guess, but a uh, pretty big high-impact guy. The other two were Blake Martinez and Kenny Clark with three. Looking at coverage statistics, um, Jair and Kevin King were each targeted five times. Each gave up three passes. Jair gave up 24 yards. Kevin King gave up 35. It's t- in terms of yardage, it was a great game for both of them. If they could only give up 24 and 35 each, that's a great day. Um, and then Kevin King gave up the one touchdown. He also had a pick and a pass breakup. Jair had a pass breakup. NFL passer rating, Kevin King had an 81.3 when targeted. Jair, 72.1 when targeted. Um, otherwise, I told you what Oren Burks got. Uh, Chandon Sullivan also four targets, two receptions, only 14 yards. He's just continuing to impress. He didn't grade out all that well, but that's still statistic-wise very impressive. He wasn't on the field very much is probably why. Uh, Tremont Williams, four targets, three receptions, 61 yards. Uh, but with an interception, 77.1 passer rating when targeted. Adrian Amos, three targets, one reception for just seven yards, and he had a pass breakup, so he graded out really, really well as far as passer rating, 42.4. Ibrahim Campbell, not quite as solid, only 19 times in coverage, targeted three times, all three were caught, fortunately only for 22 yards. B.J. Goodson, two targets, two receptions, 12 yards. Josh Jackson, one target, one reception, six yards. Darnell Savage, only targeted once, zero receptions, one in, or one interception. So one target, one interception. <laughs> On the day, one touchdown given up, three interceptions, three pass breakups. Total passer rating when targeted for the team, 56.8. Four penalties on um, on the defense as a whole. One each for Blake Martinez, Zadarius Preston, and Kevin King. And I actually think, I don't know if it was the, I think it was the Preston penalty was just garbage. The neutral zone infraction where he wasn't across the neutral zone. And that was another one where the announcers drive me nuts because you're watching it on TV and you can see the guys not across the blue line. And they're like, oh, there he goes. And they just keep talking. And it's like, dude, look at your television. He's not across the line. Say it's a bad call. I, I, I despise. I gotta, I gotta start watching on Telemundo or something. I don't want to hear their voices anymore. Drive me insane. But anyways, that's it. That's where we're at. I think it was a relatively good performance. I know it's the Giants, but whatever. I, you know, I, you can't be as excited as had you beat a really good team, but you also can't penalize a team for trouncing a bad team because that's all you can do to a bad team is beat them badly. That's the only thing you can do is beat them up by a lot, and that's what they did. So yeah, I mean, we don't need to jump up and be like, boom, Super Bowl, son. No, that's unnecessary. There's nothing you can do to the Giants that would lead you to believe that you're going to win a Super Bowl. But again, the most you can do is beat them by a lot, and that's what they did. That's all they can do against Washington, by the way, too. So please, 
If we beat Washington by about 17 to 20 points, please don't be upset. Just be happy because that's all we can do. But anyways, um, starting tomorrow, at least what, what we need to talk about, I don't know what will actually happen, but what should happen is really start honing in on implications going forward. Um, what needs to happen? Obviously, the Vikings losing. I mean, it has some negative implications because Seattle won. But winning the division is a very important thing. And we'll see what we can do about getting a first-round bye. It's going to be kind of tough. But, um, you know, we'll see. Crazy stuff happens. Still four weeks left. You know, I, I know it seems like a foregone conclusion that so-and-so is going to beat so-and-so, but you never know. The Packers have two home games coming up against the Washington Redskins and Chicago Bears. For every reason that I can imagine, these should be two wins. Neither of these teams have an offense. The Bears do have a defense, which could cause problems for the Packers' offense, but I just don't see their def- their offense overcoming anything. And so, um, again, it comes down to... It, it doesn't even. I mean, again, we can lose to the Vikings and, and still win the division so it really just comes down to beat the Redskins beat the Bears and don't lose to the Lions in Detroit obviously everybody wants to beat the Vikings because if we can't it's going to be assumed that it's a one and done but whatever who cares just focus on what's in front of you and and do that it's weird I was thinking about it yesterday and I hate being cliche when I say just win but the fact of the matter is the more I do this and the more we kind of get closer to that that really is all it comes down to in other words I don't want to say it because it's already a cliche thing but if it wasn't a thing, I would have come to it and I'd be saying it all the time. Because that's just what it is. It's just, just who cares? Oh, that defense isn't as good as that defense. Win the game. That's it. Just win the game. We're not as good as the Saints are. Okay, well, if we get to, to, to play the Saints, you know what doesn't matter? Who has a better offense, better defense, better special teams? The only thing that matters at the end of the day is who has a higher score. Find a way to have a higher score. And it doesn't matter. It's like Vikings fans crying about, oh, yeah, you beat us at one time, but that was good. Kirk Cousins had a bad day, blah, blah, blah. Circumstances don't matter, man. The score is all that matters. Your record is all that matters. Just win the game. No point hemming and hawing about who's better, who's worse. We're not good enough. Well, if we win, we are. The Packers were not the best team in football the last time they won a Super Bowl. They were not. They, by several accounts, didn't even belong in the playoffs. They were very close to being eliminated from the playoffs, in fact. But they got in, they figured out how good their defense was, which just continued to get better. They went up against the Falcons, which was just an unbeatable team in Atlanta. They had no business winning that game. They were never going to win that game. Guess what? They beat the living daylights out of them. We don't know what's going to happen. This is where we're at. This is where we're at. We're in a very good position to win the division. So we're going to be in the playoffs by, I mean, there's, there's almost no chance we're not in the playoffs. So we're in. And once you're in, just win, right? McCarthy said it perfectly. The, the, the only goal is to get into the playoffs. Those weren't his exact words, but that was kind of the thing, right? In, in the regular season, your goal is to get into the playoffs. Once you're in there, the slate is wiped clean. Just find ways to beat the guy in front of you. Anyways, I got to get going. Random ranting time. You folks have yourselves a great day. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Uh, bye-bye.